Well, good morning. Good morning. If you have a Bible, open yours to Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter in the Revelation, and we will begin our 22-week series in the most logical place, verse 1. Revelation 22 and 1, we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. How many have the word soon or shortly in verse 1? Okay, we have, we have a lot of soons and a, and a lot of shortlies. I really believe the word would help us to understand its significance if it was translated quickly. So look at Revelation 2, verse 16. Revelation 2 and 16, Repent therefore, or else I am coming to you soon. Shortly? Quickly. Quickly. Same exact word. It's the same exact word translated shortly or soon in verse 1. Soon speaks to time. Quickly speaks to speed. We're not talking about any day now. But we're not talking about right around the corner. We're talking about end-time events, and when they come, it's all going to happen quickly. For example, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to be introduced to the seal judgments. And the seals are broken one right after the other. And the judgments that follow with each seal being broken, it comes quickly. When we get to chapter 8, we're going to look at the trumpet judgments. And when the trumpets are sounded, the judgments come quickly. So we're not talking about any day now, or right around the corner. And the reason why that's an important distinction to make is because a lot of critics of the Revelation who have given up belief in the Revelation are thinking to themselves, none of this has happened. Uh, It it was forecast to happen soon, shortly. And here we are 2,000 years later, and everything you read about in the Revelation, for the most part, none of it has happened. But that's because of a misunderstanding of one little word in the first verse. Look at Revelation 1 and 3. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The time is near, the word time comes from kairos. Once again, we're not talking about clock time. We're talking about end times. End times is near. Uh, The word eschatology 
which is a course we take in Bible college and in seminary. Eschatology literally means the study of end times. That's what the Revelation is all about, a study of the end times. Now, how many have the word time in verse 3? Listen to Revelation 12 and 14. She was nourished for a time and times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. This is the end time event when we get to Revelation 12. This is the end time event known as the second half of the seven-year tribulation. The phrase time, times, and a half time, really time means a year. Times, plural, two more years. A half time, six months. You add a time, times, and a half time, and you come up with three and a half years. Now, we're not going to take time this morning to prove that, to support that, to explain that. We will, however, when we get to chapter 12. But I point that out because the time is near. The time is near. What time is near? Look at verse 7 of Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Jesus is coming. That's an end-time event, isn't it? And, and the things that precede it are going to precipitate and result in, when he comes, he's coming quickly. He, he's coming quickly. Now, why have I intentionally followed many lessons on the gospel? If you were to look back over the last several months, you probably are thinking, Pastor is always talking about the gospel in the gospels. How did Jesus preach it? What did he preach? Then we started spending several weeks on becoming a people person that wins souls. Remember those lessons? And then we started talking about the love of Christ, seen in the cross of Christ, Revelation 1 and 5. Controls how we live for Christ, Revelation 1 and 3. Resulting in our becoming ambassadors for Christ, Revelation 1 and 6. Why follow all these lessons with a book series on the Revelation? Two reasons. I'd like to direct your attention to verse 3 once more. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Let me ask you, it's a rhetorical question. Remember I said there will be a few of those. That means I'm going to ask it and answer it. What particular book of the Bible is most known for being printed and distributed more than any other book? The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. I would argue the book that needs to be printed and distributed even more than the Gospel of John is the book of the Revelation. And the reason is because this is the only book of the 66 books 
that makes the promise that verse 3 does. If you read it, if you heed the words, that is, if you do what you read, you're going to be blessed by it. You're going to be blessed by it. Now, we know verse 7, even though not all of my pastor friends would agree with me, we know that verse 7 is speaking about the second coming, not the rapture of the church. There are some clues, some hints in the seventh verse that would cause us to believe this is the second coming to earth and not his rapture. Here are some of the clues that help us determine. Number one, notice in verse 7, every eye will see him. At the rapture of the church, at the rapture of the church, only the church will see him. It's only the believer in the church that is going to see him. Here in verse 7, however, everyone is going to see him. There's another clue. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Even those who pierced him. So with that said, let's turn to Zechariah. Let's turn to the book of Zechariah. And we're going to we're going to defend why this is his second coming to earth. I want you to keep those words mourn, pierced in your thoughts. And when Jesus' disciples in Matthew 24 asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, what, what's going to be the sign of your coming? Our Lord gave them many signs. But out of all the signs that he gave in Matthew 24, there was one sign in particular that he said, When this sign comes, know that I'm right at the door. And that sign was the parable of the fig tree. Matthew 21, Jeremiah 24, Hosea 9, listen, tells us Israel is the fig tree. There is something about Israel that tells us, listen, what time it is. There is something about Israel that tells us how near his second coming is. So I want you to keep in your mind those two words, mourn and pierced. Where did we just read those two words, mourn and pierced? Revelation 1, verse what? 7. Now look at Zechariah 12 and 10. Zechariah 12 and 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and, in the and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let's stop there. Who is the house of David? Who are the inhabitants of Jerusalem? Italians, right? Jewish people, right? Now watch this. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look upon me whom they have what? Pierced. And they will what? Mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. 
Revelation 1 and 7 again, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Did Israel mourn for him at his first coming? No. no. And you know why? Because Zechariah 12 is about his second coming. This is about his second coming. Why, why will they weep bitterly? Why will they be mourning for him? Why will they want Jesus? Well, look at verse, look at verse uh, 11. In that day there will be great what in Jerusalem? Mourning. Look at verse 12. And the land will mourn. And the land will mourn. So you're going to have problems in the land of Jerusalem before the second coming of Jesus. Does anyone know what Jesus calls this in Matthew 24? The great tribulation. The great tribulation. How much tribulation will there be? Well, look at Zechariah 13 and 8. Zechariah 13 and 8. And it will come about in all the land. Now, what did we say the land? In the last chapter, we read the land's going to be what? Mourning. Mourning. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. Two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die in the land. Two-thirds. Do you see why Jerusalem will be mourning? Do you see why they'll be mourning and crying out for the one who they pierced? Then what? What's going to happen? Well, what happens after Zechariah 13, the Great Tribulation? Look at Zechariah chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Zechariah 14, verse 4, And in that day his feet will stand on the mount of what? This is his second coming. This is his second coming to earth. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. You know who these holy ones are, right? Us. See, these are the folk that were rapture ready. And because they were rapture ready, they never entered the great tribulation. They went with the trumpet. They saw Jesus in the sky. But did you notice, we're coming back with him. We're coming back with him. Now there's something that must take place before any of this can. Go to Zechariah 10. Before, any of the, before we can have two-thirds of the Jewish people die, before we can have the Jewish people mourning in Jerusalem, before there can be the great tribulation in Jerusalem, before Jesus will ever come back, there's something that must take place. Zechariah 10, verses 8 through 10. Zechariah 10, 8, I will whistle for them to gather them together. For I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries, and they will, with their children, will live and come back. 
I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. Now watch this. Until no room can be found for them. Until no room can be found for them, I will gather them. Notice there will be no room for them. Here's what that means. That means that this regathering of the Jewish people back to their land has to be in such number that has never been duplicated with any other regathering. I want you to keep those words until no room can be found in them. Do you have that thought in your mind? There's going to be no room for them. Now listen to Ezekiel 39. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations, and then gathered them again to their own land. Now listen, and I will leave none of them there any longer. And I will leave none of them there any longer. Now, the meaning of this passage is that the Jewish people will be gathered to their land and that God will not allow a single Israelite to remain in dispersion. Now, prior to 1867, if you were a Bible-believing Christian and you had some pastor take you up to the point that I've just taken each of us up to, Prior to 1867, here's what, here's what a lot of Christians used to do with these kind of passages. They would allegorize them. They would, they would, they would dismiss them as hyperbole. You don't want me to believe, do you, that Jesus is going to take every Jew that is scattered all over the place and he's going to bring them back to their land and that there's going to be no room for them in their land? Every person prior to 1867 would have not believed this. And I'll tell you why. Because prior to then, the overwhelming majority of Bible-believing Christians believed the church replaced Israel. Anything that was said about Israel, to Israel, for Israel, was somehow dismissed from reality. And here's why. When Mark Twain visited Israel in 1867, listen, he said, and I quote, I could hardly see a human being. Now, wait a minute. I just read a couple of passages that said everybody's going home. I, I just read a couple of passages that said that when they all go home, there's not going to be any room for them. Mark Twain is saying, I couldn't even see a human being. First, why no Jews in the land in 1867? Well, here's why. For 1,900 years, God has been scattering them to the four corners of the earth. Listen to these passages. Leviticus 26 and 33, And I will scatter you among the nations. Jeremiah 31 and 10, He who scattered Israel. Ezekiel 20 and 33, Where I have scattered you. Isaiah 11 and 12, I will scatter you to the four corners of the earth. The God who scattered them all to the point that none can be seen is going to regather them. Literally. Literally. What if I told you right now in Israel they're running out of room? 
They are, you know. They're running out of room. Today's population is at 8.4 million. In 1867, Mark Twain said, I can't even see a human being anywhere. Today there's 8.4 million. Estimates are, su are suggested it's going to reach 15.6 million by 2059. Do you know how many Jewish people there are in the world? 15 million. Some estimates say about 20.6 million. Do you know what has begun to happen in Israel? They're running out of room. Let me read for you a couple of articles from the Jerusalem Post. Tova Cohen, journalist, writes, The authorities have given the go-ahead for 20,000 Chinese workers to be brought to Israel to speed up construction. Not enough houses for this regathering. The, Jer the Jerusalem Post goes on to write, Israelis have been hearing a lot of doomsday calls lately about the future of our tiny land with reports claiming that in as soon as 30 years, we will have run out of room, natural resources, and green spaces. Life here will purportedly be one giant unremitted traffic jam, and not just on the roads. Schools and hospitals will go from being overcrowded, as they already are, to crushed by the surge of need. Beaches and parks will not suffice as recreational space for the outside outsized populace, projected to increase by as much as 5 million in the next 22 years, and will suffer environmental havoc under the strain, as will our native flora and fauna. Leading the charge against burgeoning nationwide reproduction is Alan Tal, a professor of Tel Aviv University who directed a conference call called A Crowded Future and authored the recent book, The Land is Full. What if I told you that everything we've learned just far, so, thus far is Israel's greatest miracle setting aside her Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection? Because that's the greatest miracle. The death, burial, and resurrection of their Messiah is the greatest miracle. What do the Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, what do they say is their greatest miracle? when they came out of Egypt, right? When God brought them with an outstretched arm out of Egypt and Moses had that staff and, and, and Pharaoh had his staff and, and he had his hocus-pocus magical potion that could not counter with Moses' staff, right? And then the sea gets parted. Was that a miracle? Yeah. How about the manna from heaven? Was that, a, was that a miracle? How about their clothes lasted for 40 years? Their shoes and their clothes lasted for 40 years. Anybody here have a 40-year-old pair of shoes at home? Come on, Lauren, don't. <laughs> There's always a wise guy in the bunch. Pretty <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to prove to you that everything we've just learned is not only a greater miracle than that miracle, but it's happening right under our noses. Listen carefully as I read a few passages in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, 
Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land which I gave to their fathers. Now this is worth repeating. Can I repeat it? But do you know why I'm going to repeat it? Because God does again seven chapters later. In Jeremiah 23, 7 through 8, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the northland and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their soil. Twice in those verses, God said, when they will no longer say. In other words, they're not going to talk about Moses anymore. There's a greater prophet like Moses. His name is Jesus. There's going to come a time when they're going to mourn for this son, the one that they have pierced, and they are going to begin to talk about a whole different exodus it's not going to be an exodus out of Egypt. It's going to be an exodus out of the four corners of the earth. And they're going to be regathered back to their homeland. Now follow carefully. Because Jeremiah wrote, a time will come. The time has come. You say, well, where's your proof? Well, in 1867, we couldn't even see a, a human being. In 1900, only 40,000 human beings. In 1947, only 400,000 human beings. In 2019, 9 million human beings, and they're running out of room. Now you got a choice. Coincidence? Corroboration. Coincidence, corroboration. Let me give you a about as close to as possible miracle that happened in 1947-48 when Israel became a nation again in one day. Some president of the United States convinces Congress and the Senate and the American people to give the United States back to the American Indian. Do you know the reason why the Jewish people getting their land back is a far greater miracle than the American Indian getting the United States back? I'm going to tell you why. Number one, the American Indian hasn't been dispersed to the four corners of the earth. Okay? The Jew has. That's one reason. Number two, the American Indian doesn't have enemies everywhere they go. The American Indian doesn't have a demonic plague of hatred of anti-American Indian like the Jews have. And despite all of that, there they are in their land. Do you know who God wants to hear what I just said? Everything we've learned this morning? Did you know that God wants everything we've just learned to be taught and heard? Listen to who he wants to hear this. Jeremiah 31 and 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel 
will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God wants this word disseminated to all the nations. The word for nations is the word goyim, Gentiles. God wants all the Gentile nations to hear what you and I just learned. Now let me ask you a question. Because I don't think we realize how few people in the world would ever teach what you just heard. Number one, you're not going to get the Jews to teach what I just taught. And I'll tell you why. They don't believe Jesus is coming. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. So they're not going to teach what we've learned. What did we learn? Here's what we learned. Zechariah 10, God's going to bring them from everywhere home. Zechariah 12, there's going to be problems in Jerusalem. Zechariah 13, two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be killed. Zechariah 14, Jesus is coming to the Mount of Olives. The Jews aren't going to teach that. But let me tell you something else. The church ain't going to teach this. And I'll tell you why the church ain't going to teach this. Because number one, the overwhelming majority of the church believes the church has replaced Israel. That's number one. Number two, and, and I'll prove this to you, I've had two episodes in the last 15 months that, that have driven me back passionately to wanting to go back and work with the Christian Jew Foundation. I'm going to tell you one. Those of you who knew me at Marion Hills Bible Church knew that I never shied away from talking about Israel and the Jew. I had somebody come up to me one day and say, you know, you're always talking about Israel and the Jew. Maybe you ought to go back and work, do the work you used to do. When I did my two-day assessment with the SBC, I was talking about Israel and the Jew. You know why I talk about Israel and the Jew? Let me, let me tell you why. And I've done this little exercise before. But let me do it again. If, if you grab your Bible at Acts chapter 1, right? I want you to do that. Would you do that with me? Just grab your Bible at Acts chapter 1. All right, grab that first page. And then I want you to turn, after you hold on to that first page in Acts 1, I want you to now turn to Revelation chapter 3. I want you to turn to Revelation 3. Why do I talk about the Jewish people so much? Why do I talk about Revelation 3? Okay, there it is, folks. There it is. You see that? Does everybody see this? Look at this. What, what am I holding here? I'll tell you what I'm holding here. I'm holding what the Bible says to the church about the church. Do you know what the rest of this book is about? Israel and the Jew. If I'm going to talk about this whole book and nothing but this book, I can't just talk about these pages. I've got to talk about all these other pages which is what this book is primarily about. Now look, the book is about Jesus. That we know. But this book is also about Israel's Redeemer. Israel will be saved by their Redeemer, the same Redeemer that saved us. And so, you're not going to hear, you're not going to hear what we just heard from the Jew. They don't believe in Jesus. You're not going to hear what we just talked about from the church. Can I tell you why we're not going to hear it from the church? They don't know what time it is. They don't know what time it is. 
You see, the devil has the church so preoccupied with itself, they don't know what time it is. Can I tell you what time it is? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And do you know what precedes his coming? His wrath. Seal judgments. Trumpet judgments. You say, well, do you got some proof? I got a lot of proof. It's called Israel. I got nine million pieces of proof called nine million Jews in the land, and they're increasing. I've got prophecy being fulfilled right before our noses. No room. Everyone's going back. And what does that mean? That means Jesus is coming. And here's the question. You see, we have to become people who have learned what the gospel is. We've got to become the kind of people who become people persons that win souls. We've got to become the kind of people that the love of Christ, seen in the cross of Christ, controls how we live for Christ by becoming ambassadors for Christ. We've got to be the people who sound the alarm and say, Jesus is coming. Are you rapture ready? Because you see, the only people that are going to escape what we're going to be learning over the next 22 weeks and then some, the only people that are going to escape it are those that are rapture ready. And the only people that are rapture ready are those that have heard the one true gospel. They didn't hear a portion of it. They didn't hear 73% of it. They heard the whole gospel. And that's where you and I come into play. We've got to become, shall we say, lay experts in the book of the Revelation. Because this is the book that needs to be printed. This is the book that needs to be distributed. This is the book that if it's read, and if you heed to it, you're going to be blessed by it. And you know how you're going to be blessed by it? You're going to be saved from the wrath of the Lamb. Because Jesus is coming. Well, that... That ends our lesson.